what will you be? Consumer or consumed? We're in a series of messages, that's exactly what we're calling, and we're simply talking about what it means to be a worshiper, as Jesus described it, worshiper in spirit and in truth. We've recognized so far that God wants one thing more than anything else from us, and that's our worship, but we get to choose whether we're going to bring it or not. It's not as simple a choice as it sounds, though, because Satan wants that worship, and he will battle for it. Now, hear me. I don't think there are many Satan worshipers among us today. Can, can I get an amen on that? Not, not too many. If you are, then let's talk after the service, okay? Love to help you understand. But uh, so Satan uh, knows he's not going to get many people to worship him, so what does he settle for? If he can get us to focus on ourselves, he's accomplished his task. If he can just simply get us to focus on what I want when I want it, he's blocked us from worshiping God because the battle lines for worship, is it about me or is it about he? Is it about my will or is it about his will? And that's the battle line that we have to be aware of. Last week we talked about that spirit and truth kind of worshiper and sometimes we come into the presence of God in a sense of awe and reverence. Other times we come with abandon because we just we have to express ourselves in those moments. But every time spirit and truth worshipers come with this sense of I just want to know him. I want to step closer to him. I want an intimate relationship with him. If you missed any of the messages in the series or, uh, or you just like to have many script of all of them, go to info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to provide the same notes that I use when I'm preaching to you, and you're welcome to use them and repeat them. I get emails every now and then. I'm, I'm writing a blog. Can I quote you? Please do. I'm doing a teaching uh, somewhere in the city. Can I use a quote? Please do. Take it. Use it. It's yours, okay? Feel free to do it. If you quote me directly, plagiarism says give me credit. But other than that, uh, feel free to use any of this kind of material. And if, you, and, and if you post anything, tweet or Facebook or whatever, please use the hashtag consumer or consumed. One of the things I've been talking to you about every week over these first few weeks that I've been with you guys is that I like it when you follow along with the outline. I like it when you have the scriptures in front of you. I love it when you take notes in the moment. And so we've provided a mechanism for that. For that. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you can go to, to the Bible app events and click on Bridge. Uh, Princeton, and you get all the scriptures and all the notes. I'm going to cover a lot of ground today that we're not going to take time to walk through. So if you've never done that before, today would be a great time to start or get a notepad out. Uh, there's some notepads in the back of your seats. You may want to jot some of these things down. There just isn't enough time to cover all the ground I want to cover in the time that I have, okay? Unless you want to stay here and let second service join us and we'll be here till lunch. Will that be okay? You'll be okay? Okay, I got your permission. Let's see what happens. The question for today is a profound one, it's a deep one, it's a complex one. What is worship? I mean, if I ask you to take a piece of paper out and write down a definition for worship, could you, would you? I mean, what would you say? The tragic reality is that there's a lot of confusion, even among people who consider themselves worshipers these days, and perhaps the biggest confusion, and that many Christians immediately, when I say what is worship, they think about what we do for 25 minutes on Sunday morning. They think about singing. They think about music. And again, as soon as you start talking about music, they'd rather fight about style than actually worship. Am I right? I mean, do we sing hymns or choruses or both, or do we blend those two genres together? Do, do we use hymnals or do we project stuff on the walls? Do we clap and raise our hands or do we sit reverently and quietly and dignified. I mean, some churches fight over still, I mean, whether it's okay to have guitars and drums on stage. Some churches fight over whether you should have instruments at all. 
All the while, hear me, lean into this, all the while, Satan's having a field day. Because worship isn't music. There may be some worship going on while we're singing, but worship is so much more than singing. So today, I just want us to try to get a handle on this definition. My favorite definition comes from Garrett Gustafson, uh, who was one of the original founders of Integrity Music. Some of you remember Integrity Music, one of the early kind of uh, organizations that put out contemporary music across the world. He's one of the founders, wrote a book called Adventure of Worship. Garrett and I became good friends a number of years ago. And, and here's his definition. Let's read it together. It's on the screens. Here we go. Worship, one, go out loud. I want to hear, hear you read it. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, okay? Hear yourself saying it, okay? You know, we, we remember what we say. We don't remember what other people say. You ever notice that? You go to a meeting and later on somebody says, well, we talked about, I don't remember talking about that. Well, if you spoke into it, you do. Hello? You, you're looking at me like, come on. Right. So, so I want you to hear yourself reading this definition. All right. Here we go. Worship is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, mind, and body. You see three parts in the definition? That's all we're going to do this morning. We're just going to break that definition down into three parts. Let's see if we can get a handle on them. You see acts, you see attitudes, you see this wholehearted sense of giving ourselves. Let's break it down. Let's start with the acts of worship. Can't give you a full list. Uh, Don't have enough time to give you a comprehensive list, but let's just look at a few of them. I'll kind of unpack from Scripture. These are biblically defined appropriate acts of worship. Let's start with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do you see two acts of worship in that passage? I see two. I see praise in verse 15, and I see service, acts of kindness, as an act of worship in verse 16. You with me? Well, I don't have time to read all of these scriptures, so that's why I want you to write them down. Go home, look them up, spend some time in your own devotions. But Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 uh, says that prayer can be an act of worship. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says that giving can be an act of worship. You may not think of it that way when the ushers are moving among you or you're going to the drop box or the giving kiosk in the lobby, but that can be an act of Worship, 2 Samuel 6, 14, we talked about last week. Dancing can be an act of worship. Philippians 4, 10, bowing down, prostrate on the floor can be an act of worship. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 talks about a hunger to learn. To, I want to know God. That in itself can be an act of worship. Psalm 63, 3 through 4, and lots of other passages says that lifting of the hands can be an act of worship. You know what we're doing? We're lifting our hands. You know what we're doing? If you were a bank teller and a guy, a robber came in, stuck a gun in your face, what's the first thing you would do? (laughs) Yes, sir, what do you want? Anything you want, I'll give it to you, right? It's an act of surrender. And so when you raise your hands while we're singing or, or at some point, you know, the Lord speaks to you out of a message and you go, wow, what are you doing? You're saying, I surrender to that truth. I, I also like to think of it as, Lord, I need a hug. <laughs> I think he's got one for us when we do. Psalm 47.1 says, clapping 
can be an act of worship. You understand that if you go to a concert somewhere and you clap, you're making an expression of appreciation for the talent of the people on stage. But when you clap in church, that's not what we're doing at all. We're raising an offering to our God who gave those talents. The direction is to him. That's what we're doing. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says that obedience, in fact, in a very real way, obedience may be the highest act of worship. Whatever you say, Lord, your will, not my will. In fact, that passage says that obedience is better than the sacrifice of praise. Psalm 69, 30 says that singing can be an act of worship. There it is. <laughs> I knew it was in there somewhere. 1 Chronicles 16, 42 and a host of others says that playing of instruments can be an act of worship. A couple of weeks ago, I asked Bill if it was okay if I said that, and he reluctantly said, oh, yeah, I guess so. I was over there on the front row, and we're singing a song, and, and I don't remember the exact song, but it had some amazing grace kind of verbiage in it. And while we're singing about the amazing grace of God, I see Bill over here, our drummer, and he's wailing away, buddy. I mean, he's just, he's all over that drum kit, and I'm thinking, man, that guy's good. And then I saw his face, and tears are flowing down his face, and I'm going, he's not drumming, he's worshiping. <laughs> That, that's what I'm talking about, guys. There are so many more in Scripture, but hear me. That just kind of gives you a glimpse into some of the predominant ones, the ones that are repeated often. And every one of those, according to Scripture, that's our boundary, right, the Bible? Hello? Every one of those are appropriate acts of worship. Are all of those done during the 25 minutes that we're here on Sunday morning? Somebody say, no, quick. Um, well, I hope some of them are done during our 25 minutes of worship, but they're not necessarily acts of worship. They can be just acts because worship is so much more than actions. So let's look at the attitudes. The second part of our definition is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself. Here's some attitudes that are mentioned in Scripture. John chapter 4 that we've been looking at throughout the series, verses 23 and 4, talks about authenticity, this, this honesty. We talked about that last week. I won't unpack it again. But this open heart, this, this honestly engaging the God who knows us for real is an attitude that we bring to worship. Anything less is not worship. Hebrews 12, 28 talks about reverence. I mean, let's be honest, guys. We are, we are casual around here, and sometimes people's first impression of us is, you're just not dressed well enough for church. Well, hear me. We, we wear jeans and tennis shoes, but we are serious about what we do. Amen. We are serious about worshiping the God of the universe. I just like to be comfortable. While I do it, I tell people, if you see me in a coat and tie, it's probably a wedding or a funeral, but even that's beginning to change. I did a funeral the other day, and half the crowd showed up in shorts. And so, you know, it's just kind of things are changing these days in terms of how we dress. Psalm 51 says that an attitude of worship is the desire for a pure heart. We talked about David a little bit last week, who God says was a man after his own heart. And let's be honest, David was far from perfect. He messed up a lot, but he always came back to that Psalm 51. He says, oh God, I messed up again. Would you create a pure heart in me? Psalm 139, where can I go 
and not be in your presence. Would you search me and see if there's anything in me that doesn't honor you? Because I don't want it. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And that's an expression. That's an attitude of worship. If you're carrying unconfessed sin, hear me lean in. If you went to brunch, come back. If you're carrying unconfessed sin, you can't worship with abandon. you got to deal with it. If I fail to do something that that I know Kim needed me to do, or I'd do something that I know would hurt her feelings, is our intimacy blocked? Until it's dealt with, you better believe it's blocked. Until I come and say, you know what, I blew that one. I am so sorry. Uh, there, there's a block in our intimacy, and the same thing's true with a holy God. You can't worship a holy God with abandon while you're carrying sin. You've got to deal with it, guys. Now, hear me. If you confess, God will forgive. That's what he promised he will do. But this desire for a pure heart is a part of the attitudes of worship. Unity, John 17, 23. The one prayer that Jesus prayed before going to Gethsemane that some people say is yet to be answered is that the body of Christ would be unified as, as he and the Father were unified. You know that when we come together corporately and we have this desire to work together, to, to, to put our shoulders to the same wheel and push in the same direction and accomplish the vision that God's given us as a church, that's an attitude of worship. Before you ever sang a song or hugged a neck or shook a hand? Joy, Philippians 4.18 says that joy is an attitude of worship. We're excited about who he is and what he's doing. All of those are attitudes uh, for worship. Do all of those happen on Sunday morning at church? No, not necessarily because worship is so much more than what we do. It's about who we are. In fact, let me just say this. You can tweet this if you want to. It's a tweetable. If you don't get the attitudes right, you can get all the actions right. It ain't worship. The attitudes always precede the actions, and they are required. So what's the next element of our definition? Let's go back to our definition. Worship is the acts and attitudes of what? Wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, mind, and body. Look up that word wholeheartedly in the dictionary. Here's what I found this week. An unreserved, unconditional commitment, completely sincere, enthusiastic, and energetic. Sound like wholehearted to you? Put my whole heart into it. Hear me, guys. Whatever acts and attitudes you employ, spirit and truth worshipers are unreservedly, sincerely, enthusiastically, energetically giving themselves to God. You know, do you know the source of the word enthusiastic? Do you know the, the etymology, use a big word for that word? It's from the Latin en theos. Theos meaning God, en meaning in. Enthusiasm is to be in God. That's what it means. And so when you're fully engaged with God, you're wholeheartedly giving yourself unreservedly, unconditionally, completely sincere, energetically, in theos, something amazing begins to happen. And I know, uh, you know, a place like this, people watching online uh, all over the world, literally. We had people from different countries with us last week, and I'm sure they're there this week as well. There are some who say, whoa, wait, wait, it feels like you're a little over the top there, kind of pushing it. Sounds a little radical to me, Pastor. Maybe, but that's what God's looking for. 
That's what he's looking for. I mean, when Jesus was asked to sum up the whole deal, can you bring it down to, to, to a summary statement of all the scriptures and all the things that have been written by the scriptures, can you bring it down to one thing? He said there's only two commands that ultimately matter. You remember what they were? Some of you know. The second one was love your neighbors yourself. Let's focus on the first one. What's the first one? It's in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. First of all, the commandments is you shall love the Lord your God with part of your heart, some of your soul, some of your thoughts, and put a little energy into it. What? That's not... Oh, all. What what does all include? (laughs) Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? Does that sound unconditional to you? Does that sound unreserved to you? Does that sound enthusiastic and energetic to you? It does to me. But hear me. My, all my enthusiasm and yours are not necessarily going to look the same. I mean, some people are physically enthusiastic. We get to singing songs and Got a little beat to them. I can't stand still to save my life. My hands start going together, you know. And before you know it, I'm boogieing. And some of you are clap dysfunctional. You can't get the timing. to. You miss your hands, you know. And if you were to try to clap and jump at the same time, you just fall down. So don't, please. We have to call the ERT team and get the ambulance. It is just messy. So, you know, it's okay, right? Some of you are emotionally enthusiastic. I can see it on your faces. I can see the tears. I can see the smiles. I can see the facial expressions. Others of you would be self-conscious if you got too expressive emotionally because you start thinking about what what are people seeing. And and the whole goal of this thing is not to be self-conscious. It's to be God-conscious. So we're not all be the same. Jesus is not saying you have to engage in all of the acts and attitudes of worship to be a worshiper, nor is he saying you have to demonstrate your heart, soul, mind, and strength in the same way that everybody else does, but he is saying give it up. Get all in. Don't hold back. Unreserved, uh, excited, and enthusiastic. Don't go through the motions. Say it with me. Don't go through the motions. One of the great tragedies of what I call the modern-day worship wars is that worship is not as much about what the Bible says as it is about what our religious tradition says. Come on. I mean, I hear people, when people visit our church, I hear them come in and say, well, you know, really like the people. Everybody's just so warm and friendly. And, and the preaching, boy, I love that. You, you just really nailed it. And you got a microphone in my living room. I mean, I hear that kind of stuff all the time. And, and then they will say something like, but you know, I'm a I'm a Methodist, and I, or I'm a Presbyterian or something, and it's just a little too expressive for me. Or they'll come in and say, you know, I love the people and the preaching and all that, but, but I'm a Pentecostal, and this was just a little too tame for me. <laughs> or they'll come in and say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a charismatic, and this is just a little too structured for me. Or I'm a Catholic, and this didn't have enough form and ritual to it for me. And I listen to that, and I understand the journey to process through all of that stuff. Jesus is not saying that, uh, that you have to uh, engage in all of these things. I, all I'm saying to you is that 
is that you define the acts and attitudes that become your expression of worship based on who God made you to be, not based on some religious tradition, but based on what the Bible actually says. That's the owner's manual, and that's what we're going to lean into. Have you figured out yet that, that we care about style, but God couldn't care less about style? Have you figured that out? If you don't believe it, get on a plane with me and go to Africa and watch them worship. And then let's fly over to Southeast Asia and watch them worship. And then let's head down to Latin America and watch them worship. And then let's go to urban America and watch them worship. And then let's go to suburban America and watch them worship. All the same style? Somebody they say, no, quick. It's not the same style. Does God care which style? Does he have a preference over which style? No, because worship isn't style. It's about engaging him fully. God is honored in all of those styles if, if the acts and attitudes are ultimately about giving ourselves wholeheartedly to him, whatever the style. Not about style. Somebody say it's not about style. So the only real question is, are you worshiping with all? That's really the only question, is when you worship, whether it's here or you're driving your car or, or you're sitting at the beach watching the sun rise over the ocean, I mean, wherever, whatever the setting, are you worshiping with all? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Let's segue into that and let's unpack those four things and let's make sure that we understand what we're talking about so that you can do it kind of a self-evaluation, a checkup. I cannot tell whether you are worshiping with all by your outward appearance. And you cannot tell if everybody else in the room is worshiping with all by their outward appearance. I got one come on and a lot of blank stares. We do that, don't we? Hello, is this microphone on? We do that, but you can't tell by outward appearance. Only you can decide by a personal evaluation of what does it mean to give him all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what did Jesus mean when he said, love the Lord God with all your heart? He's talking about your emotions. He's talking about that innermost part of who you are. Are. And let's be honest, again, some traditions teach that emotions has no place in worship. The result is that their worship style tends to be intellectual and, and even a little bit stoic. Others have styles where emotion drives the whole train, and there's some pretty crazy things done in the name of worship in some of those settings. But whatever your background or whatever your personality type, there is, there is, there is, did I say there is? Did, did I mention there is? There is an emotional component to worship. If so if you're joyful right now, then your worship ought to express joy. You ought to put a smile on your face and go, hey, man, I'm doing good. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Right? If you're hurting right now, then your worship ought to express your struggle. God, I'm hurting right now, but I need you, and I want you first. If you're grateful for God's provision, the highest point of worship for you in a Sunday morning service is the offering. 
It's an act of worship and that is attitude of, of thankfulness and gratitude. I mean, whatever emotions you're feeling, engage them, give them to God because he knows what they are and he's told us to worship him with all our hearts, good, bad, and ugly. Got it? Ready to move on? Second one, what does he mean, love with all your soul? The word soul uh, in the New Testament is, was originally the Greek word suke. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from suke? Psyche, psychiatry, psychiatrist. He's talking about uh, your will, who you are. He's talking about your vitality. So part of spirit and truth worship uh, has to do with being uh, honest with ourselves about where we are in our journey of maturity, of development, where we are in terms of our dying to self. He's talking about being honest with ourselves about that. For some people, we need to address an inflated ego or an inflated sense of entitlement. And so if that's what you're struggling with, then, then an honest expression, an all-in expression uh, of your soul would be, Lord, help me to be more humble. I need to be humbled in your presence. I personally have never had much trouble with that because if I didn't ask the Lord to humble me, he usually put a wrinkle in the carpet. And while I'm looking around seeing what people are saying about me, I trip over the wrinkles and fall on my face and go, okay, yo, Lord, I, I remember now. <laughs> you know, thinking that I'm doing what I'm doing is kind of like being in an airplane and saying, this flying stuff easy. Who needs a plane? <laughs> right? That doesn't work out too well, right? For most of us, it's not about pridefulness and arrogance. It's about a sense of unworthiness. Who am I to come into the presence of a holy God? And so for us, it's more about seeing ourselves the way God sees us as a child of the king. Either way, here's what I know. The way you see yourself determines the way you act. Hello? Your self-perception is governing the way you live your life. If you see yourself as a loser, guess what? You'll act like a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, guess what? You'll let people victimize you. That's what happens. If you see yourself as uncreative, you won't make any attempt to create anything because I'm not a creative person. I mean, it's just, here's the problem. Far too many of us have a flawed perception of ourselves because they are not based on seeing God and getting our reflection from what he says. It's about seeing the unpleasable parent or the mean-spirited teacher in our lives that spoke things into our lives when we are in the third grade or mean students on the playground who said horrible things and we got an image of ourselves from those people who were in fact hurting people. You figured out that hurting people hurt people? Because they had a flawed perception about who they were. And they just dumped it on you. And you received it. And probably dumped it on somebody else. In the journey, guys, we have to stop thinking of ourselves the way people think of us and start thinking of ourselves the way we know God knows us to be. Hear me, when you engage God in the reality of who you are and where you are in your journey, there's healing that takes place if that's what you need. There's renewal that takes place if that's what you need. There's life change. Life change happens in the heart of worship, wherever you are when you're 
in that moment of worship. The psalmist David said, he restores my soul. You know why he said that? Because he was totally transparent with God about where he was. Read some of the Psalms. I mean, this guy said horrible stuff. You know, bash my enemies' heads against the wall. I mean, you know, it's, come on, that's just honest stuff. But he also said, oh God, I blew it again, forgive me. And because he was transparent with God, because he bared his soul to the God who loves him, his soul was restored. How about your mind? Very closely tied. What's he talking about your mind? He's talking about your thoughts. He's talking about your intellect. I've seen some people in worship settings where they had the acts of worship down, but I wonder where their minds are while they're doing that. I mean, don't look around or throw an elbow, but you've probably seen them. It's, a, it's an upbeat song, and they're clapping, and then there's a you know, real soft kind of introspective song, and their hands are raised, and it looks like, man, they're about to go into the third heaven, wherever that is, and right in the middle of it, they lean over and say, so what do you guys want to do for lunch today? <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Where is your mind? It ain't all into what you're doing. Come on. But if we're going to worship God with all our minds, then we need to understand some truths about our thoughts. Three simple truths, quickly as I can. Three simple truths about your thoughts that you need to be aware of. Write them down and remember them, okay? Truth number one is God knows my thoughts. God knows my thoughts. Say it with me. God knows my thoughts. Thoughts. Psalm 139, verse 2, you know when I sit or stand, when far away, you know my every thought. My first reaction to that is, oh Lord, <laughs> you know my thoughts. My second reaction is, awesome. Wow, he's that involved in my life that he knows what's going on in here. He understands what I'm going through. He knows what I'm struggling with. He even knows my bad attitudes, and he hasn't zapped me yet. <laughs> what a good God. Psalm 94.1, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they're futile. You ever been in the middle of prayer, and some god-awful thought just pops in your head, and you go, man, where'd that come from? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. God knows. That's human. That's humanity. I like the way the message paraphrases this one. God knows, all right, knows your stupidity, sees your shallowness. <laughs> Hear me. God knows the incredible power of the human brain, the most powerful computer on the planet, capable of trillions of processes per second. And when we get our thoughts, listen to me now, when we get our thoughts Aligned with God's truth, power is released. When we get our thoughts aligned with God's truth, power results. The second truth you need to know about your thoughts is I'm responsible for my thoughts. God knows my thoughts and I'm responsible for them. I've already told you, your thought life <coughs> ultimately determines your, your life. What you ponder <coughs> eventually defines what you believe. Beliefs become behaviors. And so when you hold on to thoughts that don't align with God's thoughts, jealousy, unforgiveness, beating yourself up, those kind of things, uh, you have to do something about that. It's not okay because those thoughts always lead to 
to death. And so it's not okay. Here's what the Bible says to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Let's read it together. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought we have, we say, Lord, does that align with what you say? Does that align with the truth? Does that align with the word of God? Does it align? And if not, I'm taking it captive. Now let's slow down just a minute and make sure you understand something about that. Because as a pastor, I've had many people say to me over the years, Jim, I'm struggling in this area or that area. I'm tempted in this area or that area. And I have tried every way I know to resist those temptations and resist those thoughts. And it seems like the harder I try, the worse it gets. Right? You go on to most traditional diets, what are you thinking about most of the time? Food. (laughs) Right? So hear me. Lean into this. This is huge. We'll unpack this in the future in a lot more detail. But for now, hear me. You cannot resist a thought. You have to replace it. So if I tell you right now, do not think about elephants. Do not picture an elephant in your mind. Do not do it. Do not make that elephant pink. Do not picture a pink elephant in your mind. Do not imagine that there's a large elephant and a small elephant. Both are pink. Do not see that. Do not imagine that the little elephant's trunk is entwined in the tail of the big elephant so that you know somehow that's a mama and a baby. Do not think about that elephant. Don't. How many of you are thinking about elephants right now? Because you can't resist a thought. You have to replace it. So when, when a thought comes into your head and you know that's a thought that doesn't align with God's word, what do you do? You start reading the word. You put on some praise music and start singing truths. You get into a life group and you start hanging out with people that say, whoa, wait a minute, you ought to take that thought captive. That doesn't line up with scripture. Why? What are we doing? We're not trying to resist a thought. We are replacing it. Why? Because God knows my thoughts, and I am ultimately responsible for my thoughts. The third truth you need to know is the good news, and that is God can help me change my thoughts. God can help me change my thoughts. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. God will help you with that journey if you will commit to that journey, but you have to wholeheartedly, what does that mean? Unreserved, sincere, unconditional, enthusiastically give your mind to him. The bottom line is this. I got to move on. I see the clock. I promise we'll be out before second service. (laughs) Here's the bottom line. We eventually begin to resemble what we rehearse. And so if you're rehearsing over and over and over in your mind somebody that hurt you, you will eventually begin to resemble them. Should we move on? That's the word of the Lord. Receive it. When my thoughts are controlled by selfishness and anger and revenge and hurt and sense of worthlessness, those thoughts lead to death. Emotional death, spiritual death, physical death. But when the Holy Spirit controls my thoughts, that leads to life and peace. 
You see, the problem is that as powerful as our minds are, they are limited, but God is not. How about your strength? How about worshiping with all of your strength? What's he talking about? Now he's talking about physical. He's talking about your bodies. He's talking about some of those physical acts of worship that I mentioned a few moments ago, bowing and clapping and singing and lifting your hands and serving. Again, you don't have to do all of the acts of worship to be a spirit and truth worshiper, but get engaged. Engage your bodies in this process because God wants you to worship him all in uh, mind, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you study the early church, the, the church in the book of Acts, that's what you see. You see wide open, all in, and you also see a group of ragtag, ordinary people that changed the known world in a single lifetime. And that's what I'm praying for for us. That's what I'm praying for for me and for you, that we will make a difference in our sphere of influence, we'll make a difference in this world, not because we're specialer or gifteder or work harder, but because we're all in worshipers of Jesus Christ. Okay, Pastor, I, 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 I hear that, but... But I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I even understand all this stuff. And, and if, if I'm honest, if I, if I did some of those acts and I tried to change some of my attitudes to align it with what you're talking about, I, you know, that would just really stretch my comfort zone. And, and I'm not sure if I know how to get from where I am to where you're talking about. Well, come back next week because that's what we're going to talk about is the journey to get from where you are to this wide open spirit and truth worshiper. You want to be here next week. But for now, as I kind of wrap this thing up, I want you to understand something. Spirit and truth worship is not for perfect people. Nobody's expecting us to get perfect before we actually worship in the way that God has called us to worship. In fact, we've been looking at John 4 throughout the series. Let's go back to it. The, the story scene, set it up quickly, and I'll come to a close is a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus comes to her. All the tensions that are related between Jews and Samaritans, he ignores them. He just comes and he asks her for a drink of water and then he engages her in conversation. She's blown away by this Jew who's actually talking to her, but he doesn't just talk to her. He starts laying out her life. He starts telling her who she is and what she's done. He said, I know you. I, I know who you really are. I know everything about you. I know you've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she perceived, she recognized that he was a prophet of God, she said. So put yourself in her shoes for just a moment. Here is this woman who by all reckoning in her community is known as a sinner, as a failure. You know the words they probably attach to it. And here's Jesus looking at her, and he's saying these words, John 4, 23, the time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and that time is here already. You see the Father, too, is actively seeking such people to worship him, people who are where they are and want to move in his direction. That's all he's asking for. Love him a little, want to love him more. 
serve him some, want to get all in. Some of my thoughts are for the Lord and some of them are for me. I want to change that. I want to die to self. That's what he's looking for. She's standing there ashamed and guilty, thinking, man, i got to get away from this guy. He ate my lunch today. He knows exactly what's going on in my life. But she's the one that he said, verse 13 and 14, everyone, everyone, every who, everyone who drinks this natural water, he says, standing at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give will never be thirsty. The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside of that person, giving eternal life. He's offering her blessing and eternal life regardless of where she is in her spiritual journey right now. Regardless of what she's done up to that moment, he's saying all you have to do is decide, I want to love the Lord unreservedly, unconditionally, sincerely, enthusiastically, energetically, wholeheartedly, with all of my soul, mind, spirit, and strength. simple, huh? Can we pray that prayer together? Father, you see us. You know who we are. You know for real what we're struggling with, and, and you know how all in we are in this thing called worship. So I ask simply that across this room right now and across the world online, The Holy Spirit, you would speak to each of us because we can't tell, looking at one another, where we are in this journey by our acts or even by the attitudes we perceive. That's an internal thing between me and you, Jesus, between each of us and you, Lord. So would you speak to us this morning individually, personally, intimately? And help us to see our next step toward becoming spirit and truth worshipers. Just pause for a moment in the quietness of this moment. Ask the Lord to give you a glimpse into what he sees about your heart. About your soul, your mentality about your mind, your thought processes, about your bodies, your physical being. And if he reveals anything to you that's not fully invested all in, then I'm going to ask you to pray this simple prayer with me. Pray out loud, pray silently, it's up to you, but God hears your hearts, he knows your thoughts. Let's pray. God, I acknowledge that I'm not always all in. Sometimes I'm thinking more about me than you. And sometimes I let myself be defined by what people say instead of focusing on what you say. And sometimes even the physical things that I do don't honor you. Help me 
forgive me. You said that if I confessed, you would forgive. I'm trusting that. Help me to become a spirit and truth worshiper. I know at the end of the day, I'm the one that's blessed. But I first and foremost want to bring you honor. In Jesus' name, Father, you see us. You know who we are. You know the prayers that are being prayed across this room and across the globe. Assure us by your spirit that you've heard our prayer and there's a smile on your face right now. Thank you for the honor. Can't wait to see what you're going to do with this one and only life we just offered you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning and you've never prayed a prayer like that in your life, maybe if I'd asked you before the service, if you're a Christian, you'd have said yes, but, but you've never come to that place where you said, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not holding anything back. I am all in for Jesus. I want a new life. Then would you do me the honor of sending me a text, hashtag new life at 72345. 35 people did that in the month of June right here in this house. Amen. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We want to help you on your journey. So send me a text, hashtag 72345, or hashtag new life, 72345. For others of you that are serving the Lord, my prayer is that you've taken a step in his direction, just a little bit deeper with him. Next week, we're going to talk about that journey to become the process and the stages of becoming this kind of worshiper. I hope you'll come bring somebody with you. Let's stand together for closing prayer. The altars are open if you'd like to come and pray this morning. It's a great thing to do. Come and just seal some commitments before the Lord. Take advantage of that opportunity. Father, thank you for this service. Thank you for the way your spirit has spoken to us. As we sang song lyrics together, as we engaged one another, as we heard your word, I pray blessing over all of us as we go from this place that we would not only walk in your blessings, but we would be your ambassadors as the church leaves the building. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.